We're going to continue in the reading of the Scriptures, and so I want to invite you now to turn to Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, and uh, follow with me as uh, we read this uh, account from the writer to the Hebrews. Now, the point of what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would be a pre he would. I'm sorry, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent uh, than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is acted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds, I will write them on their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one uh, his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For for I will be merciful toward the iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So just so far, the reading of the word, let's just bow our heads once again as we pray together. Lord, we thank you for that which we have already been able to share uh, together tonight as we've come to your table, uh, remembering what our Lord Jesus has done, what has been accomplished. And now as we turn to your word, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would uh, minister to our hearts, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would move us, and, and Lord, continue to sanctify each one. And we pray that something of the greatness of the gospel, the greatness of what you have achieved and continue to apply, even in our lives tonight, would be uh, good news and great uh, comfort and assurance and encouragement tonight, we pray. And so may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts together, be acceptable in your sight. So we did read uh, in the last passage just something of uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want us to be thinking uh, about that. It was uh, uh, an ordeal. Uh, he knew what was ahead of him. He knew something of, of the suffering and, and, and the pain and, and the anguish and, and more than just a physical suffering, uh, the ordeal of being 
God forsaken. Something of a mystery. I'm sure you've heard those words that Martin Luther quoted. Uh, God forsaking God. That, that's the anticipation. That's something of what is in his mind. And praying therefore, and I'm going to read the version from Mark chapter 14. Uh, Father, uh, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And so I want to move on from that and recognize and share with you tonight by submitting to the Father's will, enduring the suffering of the cross, Jesus completed a wonderful work. Now we know that, but, but perhaps to revisit something of that work that was achieved, a, a, a work that we remember this weekend, a work that took place 2,000 plus years ago, but, but a work that has an impact on the lives of people today. He has completed a work, and now, as I read in Hebrews chapter 7, if you have your Bible open at verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Stuart Oliot and I'd love to quote him on this point. He says, seated in heaven at this moment. And, and think of that tonight. Seated in heaven at this moment is someone who is God, who has come among us as a man, who is the God-man. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses, greater than the prophets, greater than the Old Testament priests, and greater than any other men or women who have ever lived. And so the message that I'm wanting to, to, to bring to you tonight from this particular passage is that Jesus is presently active in building the church. Jesus is active in ruling the world. And so at Honey Ridge Baptist, Jesus is at work in your community, around this community. He is fully and completely involved in orchestrating and unfolding God's redemptive purposes. Now, I'm going to try and be briefer tonight, but uh, these two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, uh, we have laid out for us three areas of Jesus' current ministry. That which he currently is doing, that which we benefit from as the children of God. Bringing about blessing, bringing about what we would often think about today in business circles as deliverables, that which we benefit from as children of God. And so tonight, my single one point, and there'll be a couple of uh, sub-points that I'm going to speak to, is Jesus serving as the mediator of a better covenant. Don't know many here tonight, but I would imagine, being a fairly large crowd here, that there are some among us, perhaps even many among us, who have experienced or maybe are experiencing in times of difficulty, getting to a place and wondering, is it worth being a Christian? You ever think like that? Going through a particular hardship, Perhaps some kind of discouragement or disappointment, uh, some kind of 
inflicted hurt that you've experienced. And the thinking, perhaps just thoughts, because it's sometimes hard even to articulate this, is why bother being a Christian? Why not just go back to where I was before I came, became a believer? Perhaps even thinking, maybe I should think about other possibilities in the different religions of the world. Well, we come to this book of Hebrews, and these Hebrew converts were at a particular place where they were vacillating between two opinions. They were struggling. They were being persecuted. They were going through difficulties. They were going through hardship. And, 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 and so the thinking among some of them was, well, would it not be better to go back to being a Jew? Would it not be better to turn our back on the gospel of Jesus? Would it not be better and safer, because of course they'd been persecuted, just to go back to Judaism? Or, the other side of the coin, do we stay? Do we continue to face some of the difficulty? Which is better? Well, the uh, author anticipates and does not hesitate with a clear answer. If you look at verse 6 of chapter 8, and he says categorically, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So I'm going to take uh, uh, the next minutes, couple of minutes, 15 or so minutes, and I want to ask a few questions to answer those questions that arise in chapter 8 to bring some encouragement uh, to you tonight as we move along in the process. And, and I want to begin by just asking a basic question. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? We often read, even when we share around the Lord's table, uh, this is the cup of the new covenant. Well, the basic meaning is a, a covenant is a contract. And uh, Saturday morning, I have a wedding that I'm going to be officiating at, and, and the bride and the groom will make and exchange vows, and in doing so, they covenant with each other. They enter into an agreement. And so what we find, if we go right back uh, into the Old Testament and follow through the different uh, books of the Old Testament and eventually into the New Testament, in the Bible, a covenant is an agreement between God and people. God makes promises to his people, and in the Old Testament, we're going to see that in the Old Covenant, often requires certain conduct, certain behavior uh, from the people in order for them to benefit from that particular agreement. Let me remind you just of some of the common covenants. Uh, God saying to Noah, Genesis chapter 9, I establish my covenant with you. Uh, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God makes a covenant to Abraham, Genesis chapter 17, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and, and may multiply you greatly. Uh, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be father of a multitude 
of nations. And, and we see that. He makes a covenant with Moses and he makes a covenant with David. And, and, and so the principle of a covenant and something that we need to remember and understand is that it's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing that God obligates himself to people with promises. But we need to be very clear that while there is a mutual obligation from God, from the people, there isn't a mutual determination. It is God who initiates every single instance. It is God who decides. God makes the promises. God sets the conditions. God dictates the terms. And so the covenants that God enters into with man, they're not open to negotiation. And so let me give you a bit of a detail and just consider for a few minutes God's covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. So having chosen the Israelites, you'll remember the call of Abraham, and, and then of course the history that, uh, that followed from there, uh, the covenant ultimately after the people had re been redeemed from, from Egypt, uh, chosen the Israelites and redeemed them. He promises, he makes promises to them, he promises blessings, and he dicta dictates the terms. He will be their God, and he will take them to be his people. That's his undertaking. But the obligation that he requires from the people on their side, they must be fully obedient to God. He requires them in matters of right and wrong to be righteous. He requires of them uh, in, in matters of worship to worship uh, in, in truth and, and, and without any kind of idolatry. And, and of course, even in the obedience in national government. And, and the point is this. If they obey, now the important thing is if, there's a condition, if they obey, they will enjoy the promised blessings, but if they don't obey, they will forfeit the blessings and instead experience God's curses. So the second question then, why, why was a new covenant needed? Well, the people are the problem. The people then were the problem. But we're no better. We too are a problem. The old covenant did not solve the sinner's need. It did not, it could not bring sinful people into a right relationship with God. Again, if we go back to Hebrews 8 and verse 9, the second part uh, speaking of the uh, people of, of Israel back in, at Sinai, they did not continue in my covenant. They did not keep their obligation. And I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. They did not live in obedience to God. The outcome, that generation, we know, did not enter the promised land other than Joshua and Caleb. And so we need to see that people then and people now have a problem. You and I, we live up to sinful expectations. We live up to the sinful nature and we break God's covenant. 
the old covenant. It is disobedience, not only outside of the church, not only in communities that we think are decadent and living in the gutter, but there is disobedience among us. If we're not doing it, we're thinking it. There's idolatry and there's selfishness and there's, there's, there's greed and, and prejudice and, and blasphemy and racism and pride and, and, and the list goes on and on and on and this and that and, 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 and sexual perversion and corruption and cheating. And so as a result, not the promised blessings, but the promised curses of God directed to them. And so when we go back, we see that God rejects the people, the Jewish nation, the people of Israel. They were not able to keep their side of the agreement. And so if men and women, if we today uh, are, are ever to know God as our God, if we, if we know that, then, then and have this privilege and enjoyment of being his people, there has to be a different covenant. The writer to the Hebrews points out in verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second, which prompts a question, certainly in my mind, is the new covenant plan B? Did God make a mistake? I don't think so. In fact, I'm convinced he didn't. God does not make mistakes. Reading in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Romans states quite clearly that Abraham, remember we're going back to the Old Testament, Abraham was not justified by the law. It was not that he kept the old covenant, that he was in a right relationship with God. Verse 13, but through the righteousness of faith. Paul also asking the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 19, why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And so this old covenant was a covenant of law. And Paul teaches that by works of the law, by seeking to be righteous, by, by seeking to do the right thing in your own strength, you'll fall short of the glory of God. And so the law points out our need for grace. God giving grace freely. I caught a thought uh, from Shane in the leading in the service earlier on, he made the point that that which is free to us is costly to God. And so grace, uh, the prophets speaking of the blessings of this new covenant of grace long before the coming of Jesus. Uh, Jeremiah sang at a time, at a particular time when he was troubled by the state of, of the sinful state of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 31, quoted here in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 8. And this is what he said, long before, pointing to this particular time. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. Pointing to the new covenant. Which brings me to my fourth and last question. What are the better promises? What is it? What is it that 
Jesus accomplished over that weekend of suffering when he rose from the dead and has ascended into heaven and, and, and as one author puts it, uh, redemption accomplished. Now, redemption being applied. What is it that we can benefit from? What are those deliverables? Well, if we look at the old covenant, we see something of the detail that those blessings were mainly concerned with the present life of the people. They covered matters like personal prosperity, so you'll get a lot more goats and sheep and cattle, uh, the length of life, living a longer life, and, and, and even something of uh, privileges for the nation of Israel. The, the, these were uh, some of the, the blessings that they could have expected. But here's the good news. The promises of the new covenant are concerned with spiritual blessings now, tonight, that which we experience, that which some many of you, I hope, are experiencing, that which we will experience also in the life to come. Now, here's the big difference. In the old covenant, God said, if you will, I will. These blessings were conditioned on human obedience. In the new covenant, the covenant of grace, God says, I will. I will. Undeserved blessing. And, 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 and these promises were, were added and, and, and conditioned not on your obedience or my obedience, but on the obedience of Jesus. Even in that difficult time in the garden, you see the obedience of Jesus clearly displayed. Your will be done. Well, the specific deliverables based on these promises, and I believe this is application and I hope encouragement for you as uh, uh, we conclude even uh, the service tonight. The first one is, I've called it inner transformation. Have a look at verse 10. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That's the problem. People can only make decisions on the basis of what they desire. That's the problem. And, and so if you, if, if you have sinful desire, you will choose to do sinful things. And, and because of our sinful nature as people, because we suffer with depravity, we, we don't have the capacity in and of ourselves to make the right kind of decisions to be obedient to God. We, and these Jews had, like us, no real inclination to obey God's law. We see that again and again in the history of the nation. They had this outward code, all these laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and multiple places in the Bible, but their hearts were not in it. For the new covenant believer, it's entirely different. If you're a believer here tonight, you should be able to say, as Romans 7 verse 22 uh, puts it, I delight in the law of my God in my inner being. See the difference? What, Jesus, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, the need to be born again, 
to be born from above. He's not speaking about an external compliance or external conformance. He speaks about being a new creature, a spiritual life brought about in the life of the individual believer, uh, putting it in the words of Ezekiel, removing that heart of stone, replacing it with a heart of flesh. You're a believer here tonight. You can leave here tonight thinking about the reality of God having done something in you so that you have the capacity to desire, you ought to have the capacity to desire to do things that please God, to walk in His ways. Now, now there's an implication there. And the implication is progressive sanctification. Men and women and young people, boys and girls, suffer with sin, sinful habits. But when we become a believer and we experience this blessing of inner transformation, then when we're consumed with greed and the Spirit of God is at work in us, molding us and forming us and sanctifying us, we overcome the challenges of the sinful nature slowly but surely in a process that eventually will end either when the Lord comes or we go to be with Him. That's number one. Number two, another new covenant blessing is that of having an intimate relationship with God. Again, chapter 8, verse 10, second part of verse 10, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We believers have the privilege of relating to this God, creator God, this all-powerful God, this holy God, this transcendent God, this majestic God, and we, his creatures, made in the image of God, uh, experiencing the new covenant blessing of a connectedness, relational connectedness with God, a sense of mutual belonging, a sense of connectedness. I am your child. You are my father. The new covenant believer has the Holy Spirit within his or her life, able to cry again, Romans chapter 8, Abba, Father, in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our hardships, knowing the presence and, 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 and the relationship, knowing that, that indeed we are children of the living God. There's a little bit of an aside here in verse 11. Uh, these Levites in the Old Testament uh, or the Old Covenant teaching the Word of God to people, but it didn't penetrate, didn't get in, not getting into their hearts. But verse 11 shows us that under the New Covenant, every single believer receives the Word. There's an openness, there's a listening, there's a learning and knowing of the Lord. Thirdly, third blessing, further covenant promise in verse 12 of chapter 8, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Number one, internal change. Number two, intimacy with God. Number three, immunity or immune to the wrath of God. What a blessing. To have any debt, every debt to God canceled, forgiven, and more than just being forgiven, actually given 
a righteousness that Jesus himself had. My sins, we sing that song at Central, I'm sure you do at Honey Ridge. My sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. Those Old Testament people, they constantly offered sacrifices and they brought the bulls and the lambs and the pigeons and the grain. But you know what? They could never endure or enjoy enduring, flooding sense of forgiveness and pardon and peace with God. Because what they did was just a shadowy picture of the better covenant to come. All our sins, you as a believer, past sins, that which you have committed in transgression to the character and the law of God, the present sins, the future sins, imputed to Christ, credited to the account of Christ on the cross as we remember that tomorrow, the suffering that he endured on my behalf, on your behalf, his righteousness reckoned to us. My conclusion, why bother to stay put as a Christian? There are challenges. There are difficulties. Life can be so, so hard. Persecution. But in the light of that which he has given us and the benefits and the blessings of this new covenant ministry, this covenant of grace, what can be said in favor of another way of life? What, what advantage can be better? Atheism, agnosticism, Islam, Buddhism, Mormonism, Judaism. What, what is better than Jesus, who he is, and what he's done? Folk, we have an amazing blessing in being believers as those who benefit from a changed and obedient heart. The privilege of intimacy, belonging to the Lord. Knowing forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And so I ask, are you rejoicing in the new covenant blessing that Jesus accomplished as we remember this Easter weekend, you can be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That, that, that's the message of the new covenant. You, you don't have to struggle and battle forever and ever. Slowly but surely, you can be, for, be conformed more and more. You can, you can come to God in sincere love and devotion and worship Folk, you can know peace with God and from God, standing on that which Jesus has done. And so, Lord, I do pray that your spirit would stir encouragement among us here tonight, just the reality, the blessing of that which you have accomplished, and Lord, that which you are doing, and that which you are uh, working out, serving this new covenant ministry uh, even among us here tonight and across our city and across the world. Lord, as we even anticipate that day when there will be people from every nation, tribe, and language worshiping before your throne as recipients of grace. Thank you that you're a God of great compassion and mercy, a God 
who loves and a God who gives so freely, remembering this weekend that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen.